this episode started with a phone call. We got a hold of a woman named Joyce Penner. And here's the first question we asked. Do you call yourself a sex therapist? Yes, I'm a certified sex therapist. Uh Okay, good. What are some of the things that lead your clients to come to you for treatment? Usually, it's either lack of desire, it's differences in desire, like one's wanting it more than the other, and then there's difficulty with arousal, getting turned on, having feelings in their body, or there may be hormonal issues. For men, sometimes they respond too quickly, sometimes they have inhibited response. Women have more difficulty with letting go and having an orgasmic response. So all those are reasons that they come. Hey there, welcome to the Happily Even After podcast where you'll hear a story of a husband and wife who did not ride off into the sunset, but found themselves fighting a man's fierce battle with lust and pornography. Bob and Dan Gresh are raw, real, and honest. Their guests are wise experts in the work of marriage recovery. Some have degrees in therapy or psychology. And kissing triggers dopamine. That same brain chemical that's triggered by porn or by addictive behavior. But when we get hooked on dopamine and we don't have the oxytocin, the intimacy, then it controls our brain and it's hard to get the bonding. So that's why abstinence after getting off of pornography or getting out of an affair is important because you have to retrain your brain. Others have learned their lessons on the hot pavement of life. There's no more vulnerable, transparent place in that moment in praying with our bride. There's only one other place that's even more transparent and vulnerable, and that's when you're in your palace. And remember, the palace is our bedroom. They'll help you explore seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. Oh, and by the way, you can live happily even after. Here's Dana Gresh. Hey there. Welcome back. Some good news and an invitation. Bob Gresh, we are going to the Caribbean <laughs> for some marriage refreshment. That's true. We That's, are. Yeah. And we want you to join us. So give your marriage the gift of connection. Get away with just one goal. Experience greater friendship while we're equipping you to experience the power of God's redemption in your marriage. Yeah. For now, say the date of September 21st to the 24th. Um, Dan and I will be teaching there, sharing our testimony, and we're bringing Pete Kuyper. We're going to bring a couple marriage counselors, I think. Are Pete we Kuyper. More than, more than Pete? Well, we have a lot of marriage counselors. Oh, we have a lot of marriage counselors. I we mean, do have an invitation out to one of the others, but I don't think they've said yes yet. They're clearing their calendar, so we can't say their name. Bevo. This is a small, limited <laughs> capacity, up close and personal um, event and experience, so it's mm-hmm. going to be different. It'll be... Yeah. Fun, intense. Yeah. And we're having it at the what is called the Hampton of the Caribbean, Casa de Campo, one of the most amazing resorts in the Caribbean. Did you say the Hampton <laughs> of the Dominican Republic? Yeah, I think that was a mistake. Is it like the Hampton Inn? <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Which is where we stay. I meant There's to say nothing wrong with the Hampton Inn. The Hamptons. Okay. Of the Caribbean. Well, it's a beautiful place. The, you know, high end. It's a beautiful place. The mm-hmm. DR is a beautiful country. We love it. We have a 
part, part of our ministry down there. Yeah. And we'd love to have you join us down there. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very amazing weekend. I do too. In between sessions, you can hit the beach. You can hit one of, I, it's like a specially designed golf course. It's called the Teeth of the Dog. I don't know what that means, but it sounds epic. Well, it's on the ocean. It's yeah. against the ocean. But why is it called the Teeth of the Dog? You don't know. It's just epic. I don't know. We're not golfers, but you might be, and you might enjoy that. So anyway, join us there. We'll tell you more about that in the next episode. But about this episode, today we're going to explore truth number six. Oh, you know the other thing we have? Yes, what's that, baby? You know what else you have? Everyone gets a golf cart. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) That is our favorite thing there. (laughs) Truth number six is intimacy is about giving your whole self to your spouse. It's definitely what you're going to call a PG-13 episode. There are several potential triggers, but we felt like this was content that we really needed to cover. So this is your heads up. I think the very fact that our guest is a sex therapist might give you all the heads up you need. You might be wondering, how does someone end up being a sex therapist? Which I am wondering, and I wondered, and now I forget what she said, how she became it, but we'll (laughs) go through that today. So we asked Joyce Penner, it's her name, how it unfolded between uh, her and her husband, how they became sex therapists. He's a psychologist. Right. So he's a doctor too. Anyway, his name is Dr. Cliff Penner, and Joyce told us about how they ended up being sex therapists. Here's the story. We really were called into this field, and I kind of came in kicking and screaming because (laughs) I was busy doing other things. I was actually setting up a nursing program at Azusa Pacific University here in California and was in charge of the curriculum development, had two little kids, and I was going to retire after that and get pregnant and have our third. Well, about right before I got pregnant, Cliff was asked to teach a class at our church to moms about teach, talking to your kids about sex. And we thought, oh, we've got a five and a seven-year-old. This is a good time to learn about that. So he was a pretty new psychologist at this time, and he prepared and gave a 45-minute talk. Well, in that audience, there was a wife of a seminary student, but um, and they asked us to come and teach a 10-week course on sexuality, asked him. He said, I said everything I knew in 45 minutes. So <laughs> he had to He's tried to, and he said, I'm not going to teach 60 women about sex. And my wife is the academic, so she needs to join me and I need to talk her into it. Anyway, that's how we started. And we taught that 10-week sex sex course and the women's lives were changed. And then the last two weeks, they asked to bring their husbands. As a result of that, you know, these were all pastors and pastor's wives. So we started being asked to teach at different churches. And then people would come to us and want us to do sex therapy. And we would say, you know, we're not sex therapists. We just, and so then we went and got trained and all that. Very soon in that process, we were asked to talk at the uh, convention. What is it called? Um, I'm blanking on it right now. The, the California Association of Christian Psychologists, I think, on talking about sex in the church. And the religions writer for the LA Times was there, Rush Chandler. And he wrote big headlines in the Sunday morning LA Times, front page of the religion section, sex revolution in the church. And it was all about Cliff <laughs> and I. And it went on the International Wire Service, and we were launched. Well, I never have retired, except I'm close to it now, sort of retiring. 
Joyce Penner is 81 years old now. Yeah, but she looks, I don't know. What do you think? A lot younger. A lot younger. She's always got her makeup just so and her adorable haircut looks truly professional. And in our conversation with her, we asked her all the things you've been asking us. Like, how important is it to a guy that his wife experiences orgasm? Yowzer. How mm. can you reprogram a brain that's been hooked on porn is one of our questions. Mm-hmm. And should we practice a period of abstaining when we're rebuilding sexual intimacy with each other? Yeah. And of course, this question. What would you say to somebody mm-hmm. listening who um, is saying, can a Christian do sex therapy? Yes. And again, what's interesting is how God had prepared us along the way because we were raised in Mennonite homes and communities and churches. And in that setting, it was never addressed. It wasn't even that we experienced anything negative. It was just an empty slate. And so first year of our marriage, we, with my initiation, decided to go through scripture and study, find every passage that had the word sex in it and studied every passage throughout scripture on sex and came away with such affirmation because we felt like, well, Cliff said he never doubted whether we should be having fun, but I doubted whether we should be having fun Mm. because it seemed like if nobody talked about it, it must not be good. You know, maybe it's just for making babies. And in that studying scripture, We just came away so blessed and so realizing that God ordained, you know, when it talks about being created male and female in God's image, that was not part of the fall into sin. That was in God's perfect design. And then when he orders a husband to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they become one flesh, that refers to sexual intercourse. And that's in chapter two of Genesis before the fall in chapter three. So even sexual intercourse is designed part of God's perfect design for mankind, not sinful. And then in the New Testament, we are the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And a husband is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And what does that mean? It means he gives up his rights. He gets with her where she is. And that's when sex really works best. Mm. Amen. Okay. Obviously, you have... Uh, taken a deep dive into the scriptures on the topic of sex, but you said a moment ago you are trained as a sex therapist. What's that mean? What kind of training does a sex therapist get? Well, when we started, there really wasn't training for sex therapists. Masters and Johnson had come out with their information and they were, they weren't certifying. They were, we did go there and get all their research data and that kind of thing. But now there are actual training institutes, and the one that we believe is the best in the world is based on scripture, and it's called uh, Sexual Wholeness, or the Institute for Sexual Wholeness, has been in Atlanta, Georgia, but it just shifted to Dallas, Texas. And uh, that has been such a gift, because when we started, they're just, you know, when people were calling us from all over the world, I was helping consummate marriages in Russia and London and North Dakota. And, you know, there just weren't. And now that we have the Institute for Sexual Wholeness, there are sex therapists. And now that we can also function virtually, we can reach people 
of the world. Well, you say so. you're helping consummate my, ma marriages in Russia. You know yeah. that's kind of an unusual sentence. It's not something I've heard before. And um, what do you mean by that? Interestingly, there are couples who have been married for quite some time who have never been able to have entry into the vagina. They've never been able to consummate their marriage. And the longest couple I've dealt with were married 39 years. Mm. So they passed the childbearing age, all that. And it was such a, they were such joy when the, and I worked not just with me, but also with a pelvic floor physical therapist with the woman. And <clears throat> they just were so joyful afterwards. But then there was the grief of having sought help for so long and never gotten the right help and have missed the childbearing years and all of that. So if anyone is listening um, and you haven't been able to, that is a very treatable situation when you're willing to do the work. Let's talk about the pelvic floor physical therapist. What can you tell us <laughs> a little bit about that and how many people might yes. struggle with that and what that means? Yes. So we know about physical therapists and they treat mainly muscle and things like that. And with sexual functioning, the muscles in our pelvis and the pelvic floor control our body, the openings of our body for a woman, the sexual part of our body for both men and women. And when there has been an accident, like sometimes I've treated women who've fallen off a horse, um, a little girl who had a was riding a boy's bike and had an accident and, or fell on a monkey bar or things like that. Or there can have been attempted entry for a child and her natural response will have been to clamp up those muscles and those muscles remained clamped. And so it can be from past sexual abuse. It can be from being taught, I remember some women years ago who were taught in their home, they had to shower in the dark lest they ever see themselves mm. and had to use a washcloth if they had never touched themselves. And that just created a tightness there because of the, the angst about that part of their body. Mm, so sad. So that's what pelvic floor physical therapists yeah. do. What, what I what I muscles. what I think of when you say those horrible things that were planted in these women as children, is that it's the antithesis of what God said. Because when He looked at everything yes. He created, He said, "It is good. It is Beautiful. good, including yes. our bodies." Hmm. So, um, let's. How widespread is let's call it sexual dysfunction in the church, mm -hmm. not necessarily sexual sin, although that can be a piece of sexual dysfunction, sure. but like mm -hmm. how many couples need the kind of help that you provide? Uh, but I don't have a exact number on that. So, But it's, it's not... as prevalent in the church as it is outside of the church. Yeah. I mean, it's prevalent both places. It's not uncommon to need help. Hey, let's briefly push pause on our conversation with Joyce Penner. I, I want to emphasize something. It's not uncommon to need help to make things work in your marriage bed. It's something we almost never talk about. 
But Dana asked her friend, Dr. Julie Slattery, about how many couples in the church are experiencing problems facing sexual dysfunction. And here's what Julie said. In my experience, I would say probably about 85% of marriages are struggling with some aspect of sexual sexuality, anywhere from the extreme of we haven't had sex in five years um, to we have a mismatched desire, sex is creating conflict, sex is painful for me. So that, that would be my experience. About 10 to 15% of women are like, hey, this is a great part of our marriage. We really look forward to this together. But for the vast majority of us, it is at some level an area of, of problem or conflict. That was Dr. Julie Slattery talking to Dana on Grounded, which is a Revive Our Hearts weekly video cast that's, that Dana co-hosts. And I want you to know this. If you need help, you're not alone. That's really important to hear today. And while you might not have considered Christian sex therapy previously, we think it might be a good idea if you're facing some barriers in the bedroom. And frankly, we know you probably are. Here's Dana again talking to Joyce Penner. Bob and I yep. did a workshop in September. Uh, we shared our journey, and then we had Q&A. And one of the first questions was, how do you, after there has been pain in your marriage in this area, uh, anything from porn use to an affair, how do you restore sexual intimacy? Well, probably it has intimacy has to be I would say start not only restored, but maybe started for the first time. Mm. Because particularly with pornography, usually pornography started early in childhood, anywhere from 9 to 10 to 14. Um, boys more than girls, but now girls also. And especially in today's world where every child that age has their own cell phone and computer, our bodies are made to respond. So when we, our bodies are responding, when a little boy gets an erection, when he uh, has an ejaculation for the first time, many times as a result of self-stimulation, but sometimes it can just be in his sleep, that that's how God wired him. There isn't sin in having an ejaculation. It's the stimulus that you look at that can get you hooked. One stimulus that can get you hooked is, of course, pornography. A porn user's brain is basically programmed to think a certain way, to seek that dopamine hit. I was learning to live in what we might call lust land. That's Jonathan Doherty of Be Broken Ministries talking to Dr. Julie Slattery on Java with Julie. Yeah, lust land. I think I've been there and it's no carnival. It's all about selfishness. It's all about me. Pornography teaches us this thing. It's about taking. It's about being a consumer. It's about just using other people. That's essentially the culture of Lustland. As Jonathan mentioned, that consumer mentality that grows when you use pornography, well, it reminded me about the sermon we assigned you to listen to by Tim Keller, the one titled Love and Lust. You remember? Well, if you did your homework, you might recall this. Because what the Bible says is sex is a cons not a consumer good, it's a covenant good. A consumer good is a way you keep someone in a relationship because they have, you have a need. I need sex every so often. Sex is a way for me to feel good about myself. It makes me feel adored and loved. So I go out and I find somebody who will meet that need. 
Sex is a consumer good. The Bible says sex was not designed to be a consumer good. It was designed to be a covenant good, and here's what that means. See, in, in a covenant, when you have made a promise, sex becomes like a sacrament, like a sacrament. When I say like a sacrament, what's a sacrament? A sacrament is an external visible sign of an invisible reality. It's a symbol, an external symbol of an invisible reality. That's why it's so meaningful. When you use sex inside a covenant, it becomes a vehicle for engaging the whole person in an act of self-giving and self-commitment. When I, in marriage, make myself physically naked and vulnerable... It's a sign of what I've done with my whole life. Because by giving up my independence and by, by making this promise, you're not just... Uh, sex, is, sex is supposed to be a sign of what you've done with your whole life. And that's the reason why sex outside of marriage, according to the Bible, lacks integrity. You're asking someone to do with their body what you're not doing with your life. That's Pastor Tim Keller. I love the concept of sex as a sacrament. Sometimes harder to live out than it is to talk it. But Jonathan Dockery is going to tell us why that is and explain why it can be so difficult to retrain our brains. So you have this deep, deep emotional system. In my case, I called it Lustland because that was the paradigm of my emotional system. What I'm designed for is what I affectionately call purity place. That's what I'm designed for. I'm designed for this, this grand view of how God sees sexuality, that it's beautiful, it's bright, it's light, it's good. Here's the problem that we have. Every time I would look over the wall of Lustland and gaze over at Purity Place, I'm like, I don't get it. Hmm. Why? Because Lustland has particular street names, has a particular language, has a particular vibe about it. You know, if you've ever been to a foreign country where you don't know the language, you're, com- you, you're dropped into that country and immediately you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Why? You don't have commonality. You don't understand. It's like it's a foreign country. That is what I think is happening emotionally so many times in Christians is they know cognitively all about God's design over here, mm-hmm. about how he's made us to live in, in, in terms of sexuality. We know where all the lines exist. We even know what the language is, even though we can't speak it. But when you're trying to ask somebody who spent you know, years living in Lustland to go live in Purity Place, yeah, you might as well tell me to go be dropped in North Korea mm-hmm. and feel comfortable. You know, it's like, so I, I guess what I'm saying is with the emotional aspect, it is the reason that I believe that smart Christian people keep repeating dumb behaviors is not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of emotional familiarity. Yeah, smart Christian people keep repeating dumb behavior. That's the line of the day. Yes, we sure do. But you can retrain your brain. You, you can experience something different. And Joyce Penner, our resident sex therapist, says it begins with recognizing what initially triggered your sexual response, as in like when you were a child. And one of the questions we typically ask when we're dealing with sexual dysfunction or pornography or addiction, what was your first sexual response and what triggered it? And if it happened just naturally in bed or in the shower or all that, usually it hasn't caused a problem. 
if it happened in response to an external stimulus, it gets hooks, hooks onto that stimulus and you need that stimulus in order to respond. And so you never really learned intimacy. And so it's not just rediscovering intimacy, it may be finding intimacy for the first time. And we have a formula for intimacy that's on our website, passionatecommitment.com, but it's a 15 minute a day. And if you take, people say, but how can we do 15 minutes a day? But you look into each other's eyes, which is key, because when you have eye-to-eye contact, your brain produces oxytocin. You get a big surge of the oxytocin hormone. And oxytocin is the bonding hormone. That's why we look into baby's eyes when we are breastfeeding or giving them the bottle or uh, that kind of eye-to-eye contact causes bonding. And that's what intimacy is about. So we start by, in that 15 minutes, looking into each other's eyes and just sharing anything positive. You know, something you read in scripture, something you thought about the other person, a just good experience you had that day. It's, long, it's not about getting your chores done, how we're going to handle our time today. It's not about who's going to go to the grocery store. And it's not about the fight we had last night. It's about something positive we share when we're looking into each other's eyes. And then for those who are believers or anyone, we encourage some kind of inspirational or biblical, reading a biblical, a Bible verse, having a prayer together, bringing God into our intimacy. So we're not only becoming one with God, but one with him, because so many people have disconnected God from sex. Those two don't go together. And so we bring God into that. and then. And then that we end with standing up and giving a full front to front body hug. It's really getting our bodies front to front and fully clothed. Um, And put on a timer for 20 seconds the first couple times you do it just to see how long. Because the brain research again shows that a 20 second front to front body hug just gives another surge of oxytocin. Mm. Then kiss. And kissing triggers dopamine, that same brain chemical that's triggered by porn or by addictive behavior. But when we get hooked on dopamine, then it's, and we don't have the oxytocin, the intimacy, then it, it, it controls our brain and it's hard to get the bonding. So that's why abstinence after celibacy after getting off of pornography or getting out of an affair is important because you have to retrain your brain Mm. and that this formula for intimacy will help that retraining and that's important to keep going throughout life you know even at cliff and i are 81 now and even at 81 we get a little dopamine every now and then if we have enough oxytocin there. So, and it's the oxytocin that can keep, the oxytocin keeps you connected long into your 80s after things don't function exactly like they did when you were 20, 40, or 50, or even 60. So, uh, but you can still have a lovely time.
This podcast is brought to you by Pure Freedom and Moody Publishers. Here's Dana Gresh. Okay, I have so many questions. <laughs> you do you have a lot of questions? Okay, so let me go back to this. You stated that if the first time someone remembers being aroused, experiencing arousal, if that was in conjunction with an external stimuli, which may have been right. pornography, um, that that can get you in a rut, if I'm mm -hmm. thinking Keep about this stuck. correctly, for how you will respond moving forward. Am I understanding right. that right? Yeah. So an example is, let's say a woman comes to us and she says she's unable to be orgasmic with her husband. So one of the things we first ask, have you been orgasmic in any way? Yes. Um, the, and then we say, what was the first time? Oh, I was babysitting and I found this stash of pornography under the coffee table and the kids were sleeping and I started looking at it and I saw women's bodies and it got me aroused. So the next time I babysat, I did the same thing. And finally, I realized I had an orgasm in response to it. Now, if I'm with my husband, the only way I can have an orgasm is if I fantasize looking at women's nude bodies. Mm. But I'm not gay. I don't want to be with a woman. And that really makes me disconnect from him. And I feel like I'm violating our marriage. So I either choose not to have an orgasm so I don't violate him or I go to my fantasy world. And so then we have to stop all sexual activity, retrain her brain by starting over and trying to get her connected with him. And there are all kinds of things we do in that process. Mm. So that's an example. Is it ever, um, I hate to ask this, but I feel like I need to. When you ask, when was that first time you experienced orgasm? Is it ever... Mm -hmm. An incident of abuse? Yes. And then what? Then they can't do it either because they have to they have to imagine being raped or violated. Mm. And that's painful. Yeah. And so usually women have just tried girls have tried not to have an orgasm. They've and then they also cannot now because they just kept their body from responding you know, worked so hard not to respond that they trained their body not to respond, especially so, if it was repeated abuse. So is there hope for someone in that situation when there's been abuse in their past to enjoy sex? Yes, yes, yes. And it'll never, it'll probably never be the freedom they felt, would have felt without that abuse. Okay, was that difficult to hear? I want you to take a deep breath. Really, in, one, two, three, out, one, two, three. I actually, I know that that sentence was so hard for some of you to hear, and I wish I could hug you, but listen to me. If you've experienced abuse, there is hope for you. And we'll talk a little about that coming up, but let's start with this. But uh, I can learn to connect with their husband who loves them, keep their eyes open. This is very important. Keep their eyes during, open the lights on during sex and keep that oxytocin going. We really build the oxytocin with 
between the wife and the husband. And now if the husband's abusive in any way, get out of there and it's not going to work because then she's just repeating her old pattern. But usually they're not. They're married to somebody who loves them. And it's well, going to be good to them. First of all, 15 minutes is like Olympic eye gazing. That is a long time. I imagine. Really no, no, you don't eye gaze 15 minutes, only five minutes. I ah, but okay. you're that's still what is man. That, like bronze, bronze level no, Olympic that's, gazing. That's, that's still Olympic. I mean, okay. 15 seconds is it. <laughs> and I, I, I was at a retreat once for men. They were very creative. And when we said goodbye, we didn't shake hands. We just looked in each other's eyes and it uh -huh. was super emotional. Weird. Super yeah. emotional. Well, part of that was about learning intimacy, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Pornography has gotten more and more graphic and more and more violent. Do you see yes. clients coming in more with more and more things that, let's say, men want to do that you wouldn't have seen 20 years ago? I'm not sure I'm asking that question. And, yes. and the women don't want yes. to do it. Right. And even strong, believing followers of Jesus, mm. which is really amazing to us. And um, it's just, it's just really, really hard. And what's so often when couples come to us or we're teaching a seminar and the woman says, he wants me to do things that make me feel like an object. We ask, is he watching porn? Was he watching porn? Mm -hmm. Was he into porn? Because what they're trying to, the man is trying to do is not sin and go to porn. So he wants his wife to be the porn star, uh, mm. yeah. you know, and he doesn't, he's not working on intimacy. He's wanting her to perform for him. It's a transactional and, encounter, not an intimacy encounter. Yes. Yes. And that's really hard. Okay, now I'm going to push pause on our conversation with Joyce. If you're not comfortable with what your partner is asking of you sexually, you have a biblical right to enforce boundaries, and that includes what's happening in your marriage bed. Listen, I want to remind you that when you express your boundaries, that you need to do it carefully. Uh, I'm dealing with, with two cases right now where the husbands are in a place of beautiful repentance, beautiful humility, beautiful brokenness. And as they have been sharing their stories in their churches, as they've been sharing their stories in safe places with their small groups, their wives have been just an open volcano of fury. And they've been very controlling about how he does that. I understand their hurt, and they've been hurting for a long time. But you have to be very careful that when you express your boundaries, you do it in a way that ultimately builds intimacy rather than destroying it. Um, those windows where your husband's heart opens up are really hard because you have to have a lot of self-control when he is getting humble. If you have a desire to manipulate or retaliate by communicating boundaries to your husband, you need some help. In fact, I didn't communicate any of my boundaries to Bob without first running th them through Pete. I needed help. I didn't want to inflict further damage on my marriage. I think at the opposite end of the spectrum, there are women who really have a hard time mustering up the strength to establish those boundaries. And it might be because she's been programmed by people who have had a skewed view of submission, 
Um, they haven't taught what the Bible says about submission accurately. They have forgotten that a husband lays his life down for his wife and protects his wife and washes his wife in the water of the word and just how nurturing the husband should be for the wife. And so she feels fearful about standing up for herself. And then there are people who are trying to help them who muddy the waters because they really don't know what they're talking about. And they have never been to a place where the complexities of sexual brokenness come into the marriage bed. So I want to share a few stories that have really helped me to modify how I counsel women in those situations. And I want to warn you, the stories I'm about to share could be triggering for you. So if you want to advance the podcast, feel free to do that. Decades ago, a new Christian bride came to me for advice because her husband was asking her to strip naked and perform oral sex on him while he was fully clothed and talking on the phone with other people. She wanted to know if this was normal and if she could say no. At at an event, I once prayed with a woman whose husband's sexual turn-on was wearing diapers. He expected her to change them, and she'd been doing it for years. Could she stop? Another woman came to me asking if it was okay to tell her husband she would not engage in anal sex. It's painful and I bleed a lot, she said. Would you tell these women that they should submit to these requests? I did not. Instead, I counseled each of them to seek professional help, and I explained to them that what was happening in their marriage bed was not the loving intimacy God designed, but a byproduct of their husband's distorted view of sex. And my advice to these women was partly rooted in logic and compassion. But I also believe 1 Corinthians 7 reveals a pattern of mutual consent. And a holistic reading of Scripture also unfolds to us that the act of marriage is characterized by tenderness and compassion and a giving of your whole self. If you are experiencing patterns of abuse, you need help because he is doing serious damage to you and to your marriage. Yeah, we... We want you to find someone who can help you because you cannot do this alone. That's what we're trying to say. And if you're a man out there that, that that's been in that case, that you've wanted things that your wife wouldn't do, I would say that sometimes it's easy to lose perspective when you're hooked on porn and things that look normal in pornography in that industry are not normal in the bedroom. And it's completely inappropriate to try to get your wife to do things that she doesn't want to do. Yeah, men, if this is hard for you to understand, it's a good sign that you can't do this alone either. Um, you might have lost perspective because of the things that you see in pornography um, that look real but aren't real. And you probably need a good friend, a counselor, or someone to help you walk through this, give you some godly perspective. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Joyce. Let's talk about this. You have mentioned Mm -hmm. that sometimes for sex to become healthy again, am I understanding correctly, that there needs to be a period of sobriety from one another, from your marriage bed? Yes. Okay. And almost always when we do sexual therapy, even if it isn't because of porn or sexual addiction, 
if we're going to train, if the couple's going to function differently, let's say she has never been orgasmic and they've kept trying and trying, or they haven't had been able to have entry and they keep trying and trying. The first thing we do is have them stop everything they've been trying because it hasn't worked. Mm. And they're just going to perpetuate the cycle. So then we back way up and start with intimacy training and having them learn to do, do a hand and foot caress, back caress, face caress, um, give and receive touch, do reading out loud together. And reading out loud together is very critical because when we read out loud, it shifts it from the right hemisphere of our brain, which has control over our bodies. Our verbal center is in the left hemisphere of our brain. And verbalizing shifts it to that hemisphere we have, which has more control over our brain. So reading out loud together is key. Well, one of the things that was hard for us was praying together. Um, oh, sure. We've talked about that in the podcast that it was so intimate mm -hmm. and, it, and it was a, a symptom that the, the desire not to pray together really was a symptom of that we needed to grow in our intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, so what you're saying really resonates with me, but I also think that what you just said is probably going to terrify half the husbands. They're going to be like, you want me to look into his eyes, into her eyes for <laughs> five minutes? You want me to read out loud to her? You want me to hug her for 20 seconds? Like, um, <laughs> do you have, do you have, I think the wives are like, yes, yes, look into my eyes. But do you have husbands who are like, I don't, that, that have objections to all of that type stuff? Um, not too much by the time they come to us mm -hmm. because they're pretty eager. We have more problems with women wanting to kiss. At the last thing is kiss passionately for five to five to thirty seconds. And that's the last thing. But they don't have trouble kissing usually if they're willing to really do the the husband wants to kiss passionately. Mm. And if he's willing to do his part of the looking in the eyes, and it isn't just sitting there and staring each other other's eyes. You can be holding hands and talking and looking and you know it's not just staring. But there are cultures we've found who don't tend to look into each other's eyes and men with men and women with addictions don't tend to look into eyes. Mm. So it's, it's, it builds that intimacy and that oxytocin, but it doesn't have to be constant. It doesn't have to be staring for five minutes. <laughs> I guess the truth of the matter is that I guess many marriages don't ever experience true intimacy, they don't know what it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. You can go mm -hmm. a long time without being truly intimate. Yeah. So yeah. it takes practice and it takes work. Mm. It's worth the investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you ad you do advocate, because that's a big source of contention. There's lots of opinions on that in the addiction recovery world. You do advocate mm -hmm. for a period of sobriety for the purpose of kind of pushing restart on the way you're interacting sexually. Right. But do other things during that time, like do the formula for intimacy. Now, maybe not the kissing, maybe the kissing is too much dopamine, maybe start, but 
if you if you do all the other steps, the kissing is probably okay too. If it's just five to thirty seconds during that during that abstinence, we usually take them through the steps. We have thirty exercises: talking, teaching, and touching. In our book, Restoring the Pleasure, that is basically it's called sexual retraining or pleasure uh, restoring the pleasure. And um, it's what we do in sexual therapy, but couples can do it with self-help or with the help of a different counselor, even if they aren't trained in sexual therapy, mm -hmm. uh, they can use the book and do that. But do we they... usually start them in that process. So they feel like they're building something. It isn't just a vacancy. They're mm -hmm. feeling it with something else. Okay. I, Bob, would now be the appropriate time for us to say that Joyce was our sex therapist? So always appropriate <laughs> because <laughs> because you use that book as our handbook you guided us yes. through a lot of the retraining exercises right. in that book yeah. and it was yeah. um it was it was really life-changing for us in terms of just bringing us to a place of deeper intimacy the title of that book in case you missed it is restoring the pleasure the subtitle is Complete Step-by-Step -step Programs to Help Couples Overcome the Most Common Sexual Barriers. And they wrote it back in 1993, but I'm pretty confident that the way sex works hasn't changed too much. <laughs> Bob. And hey, I feel like I should say this. The reason we initially sought out Joyce to be our sex therapist wasn't because of Bob's porn problem. It was because my sexual sin as a teen girl trained my body in a negative way, and I needed to retrain it because it wasn't working the way God designed it to. And Bob was very patient with all those intimacy exercises to unlock my heart. Like looking into your eyes <laughs> for five minutes. Olympic. Look. She said five minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a long time. You did it. Yes, I did. We'll put a link in the show notes for Joyce and Cliff Penner's ministry, Passionate Commitment. They still take clients on and have younger up-and-coming Christian sex therapists that they're training to help. And Dana, there's one last part of that conversation I think they need to hear. Oh, no. Yeah, I think we need to do that. Let's roll that Joyce Penner clip. I think one of the things you told us is to get the dog out of the bed. Is that possible? Oh, yes, yes. Possible that was you? <laughs> I think that was her. It was. And we did get the dog out of the bed. Although, there's another one. <laughs> we got to get that dog out of the bed, baby. Um, that's, a our, very practical, <laughs> that's a very practical thing that people might not yeah. think of. I guess I should say this. Thanks for helping us. I'm going to say this in air quotes. Get the dog out of the bed. That's not air quotes. That's not air quotes. That's you don't air quote that. That's hey. Well, there was actual. She helped us with a lot more than that. Yeah, but that sounded like right. <laughs> it was actually get the dog. I was just trying to be funny. Did it not work? It's it, it actually get the dog out of the bed. Okay, get the dog. Not out some of the bed. not some metaphor for some other kooky thing that I don't want to any. Well. That's this episode of the Happily Even After limited series podcast with Bob and Dana Gresh. Be sure to check out the show notes at danagresh.com. If you don't already have a copy of Happily Even After, Let God Redeem Your Marriage, get one anywhere you like to buy books. Episodes one through seven of this podcast support key chapters in that book. 
They contain conversation prompts to explore the seven beliefs every marriage needs to experience God's redemption. To prepare for an honest and open conversation about where you need to begin to improve your sex life together, read chapter 14 titled Truth Number Six, Intimacy as About Giving Your Whole Self to Your Spouse. And get the dog out of the bed, as in the Labrador, the German Shepherd, even the Chihuahuas. Get him out. The Happily Even After podcast is written by Bob and Dana Gresh. Original music and production by Blake Bratton. And thanks to Moody Publishers for underwriting this episode. Here's what's up next time. I've, I've come to a conclusion recently that's unsettling for me, and that is that I didn't realize how much shame was affecting me until I got out of it. And I struggled the whole, my whole life with depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. And now I realize so much of that was shame. So much of my relational problems were was based upon just aggravation, shame that made me rage a little bit or whatever. And I think, wow, I got into an awful lot of trouble dep- treating depression and anxiety. And maybe I still have some of that, but an awful lot of it was related to porn and the other things that happened. And I can't help but think that there's an awful lot of people on, that uh, are depressed and anxious right now that one of their main problems may be shame and they've been in it for so long that they don't recognize the difference between that and real life.